This episode of Inspiration Point is brought to you by the Quests and Chaos Podcast Network and the generous patrons over on patreon.com slash inspiration point. So we'd like to give a big shout out to Garlic Bread, Eric, and Spike. And at our Muse $20 level, we'd like to thank Prostaskius, Leroy, Kate, Jeremy, Jenna, Jacob, Falangor, Cheryl, A Bad Idea, and Red Dead Coquette. Thank you for helping us bring a little inspiration out into the world. And now, on with the show. Hello again, friend, and hello again, all the other friends out there in cyberspace. Hello, hello, and welcome back to all of this this madness thing that we do. How are you doing, Adam? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Uh, pretty much filled up the new patron game before it even really got started, <laughs> so... <laughs> That's nice. Most of the, uh, uh, well, the whole the whole old group came back, and then we added a couple. So uh, that was nice. So six players. That's full. That's as full as I'm gonna let it get. So um, better luck next time, everybody else. I suppose. At least until uh, Tiana starts running games. Mm, um, I've got enough on my plate right now uh, <laughs> without taking on a, a patron game, but I'll, I'll keep it in mind for when I'm not doing five billion things at once. So, you know, maybe right. when I'm about 70. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, or if, you know, three or four people want to get together and start my third group, you know. <laughs> also <laughs> also a possibility. I mean, we're certainly... See, see how much I can take. <laughs> yeah how 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 far can you stretch before you're uh completely ready to snap right um you know i've it, it's nice starting it right with a break because i get all this time to you know just read up on the region and decide what i want my core gameplay to be and what the story is going to be i've been thinking a lot about my my villain because this is going to be more like event based that has locations in it oh interesting yeah so when you if you if you look at the dmg it gives you basically two or three different ways of looking at camp campaign prep and one of them is basically to start with your villain and you kind of run through your own story with them and then a lot of the things that the players can discover and interact with are things they've left behind or the aftermath or whatever they've had a big effect on things this is gonna this game's gonna have sandbox elements but it's not really a sandbox game it is still gonna be dungeons and dragons so very focused on having a few you know strong dungeons to pull the whole thing together and to then we just have to come up with the excuses as to why we're here and doing this and so i'm feeling pretty confident about it and uh, I think people are pretty excited about the location and uh, the possibilities. It's always the possibilities of a new campaign that are super exciting. That's very true. And I, I have to say, I while I know that this location is in uh, is on Terrell, I'm not familiar with it at all. I'm really, I mean, I know a little bit about Cormier, but I don't know about any of the rest of the area that you have uh, designated for this. So I'm looking forward to finding out more about a new area. I love that kind of thing. Well, there's there's so much in Toril, and there's so much in Faroon, and yet, you know, most of our information is just like the north. We just spend all of right? our time on the Sword Coast or above the spine of the world. Right, exactly, because those are the, the big popular joints, and there's already a lot of stuff about them. I mean, even Baldur's Gate 3 is just the Sword Coast. Not even that. It's like a teeny tiny little bit of it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a huge game, but like... You know, in the first Baldur's Gate, you really explore, like, that whole Sword Coast, right? Like, you go from, like, settlement to settlement and are on names on the map. You know, this in, in this game, you really focus on a couple of key areas. You know, which isn't to say there isn't plenty to do. There is. Sure, and, and, there's, and there's a lot to be said for really getting to know an area really deeply. It's one of the reasons why I didn't object to Dragon Age 2 being just set inside of a city. It's like, by the end of that game, you know that city inside and out, as opposed to the larger area of the whole country of Origins, where you are all over the place and 
you know, spent some time in each of the places, but didn't really get to know the land as well. Yeah, you get your impressions, you get enough, you know, to kind of go, okay, this is what this area is about. Now make the option between A or B or sometimes C. And uh, then that all leads to the end, you know. And I actually really like how simple that is. You know, it gives you just enough choice to feel engaged while not like, I don't know, trying to be too pretentious about it. <laughs> you know, look, do you want the dwarves or the golems? <laughs> All right. You can headcanon the rest of this. It's fine. It's okay. The- That's what fan fiction's for. Yeah, and I mean, I think you always want to have a little bit of your own fan fiction going along with your games. You know, there's always the stuff that can't get covered in a game session or like in a video game. It's like just not possible for a programmer to think of everything you could possibly think of. Sure. You know, and so we just we just leave it to you, you know. Yeah, and I mean, it's pulling a lot from that idea that uh, Tolkien had back in the day where he he said that, you know, he created the world of Middle Earth and, you know, populated some of the areas, but let others fill them, let others fill the other areas with story and song and imagination, basically. Right. And so uh, we we did some of that. But mostly we, we just plagiarized it, like straight well. up, you know. We made our own Middle Earth, but different or... I mean, in fairness, we did exact, we did to him exactly what he did to the old myths. So fair is fair. <laughs> I guess so, yeah. You know, in the beginning there was the Honeymooners, and then there was the Flintstones. <laughs> and then there was the Simpsons, and then Family Guy. You know, it's just the way it goes. That's... And Futurama fit in there somewhere, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Futurama, well, it's just more Simpsons, really. Uh, maybe funnier, though. <laughs> I, I, I've watched a little bit of... Um, I've watched a little bit of it, and I like Futurama better than Simpsons, of the little bits that I've seen of each, but I would never consider yeah. myself to be an expert in either, because as we have established, I don't watch stuff. I like them both better than Disenchanted. Um, Ooh, fighting words. I know. Not for me. All right. Fair enough. Um, But I also feel like, you know, back in the like earlier 90s when The Simpsons came out, like that was the the really kind of pushing the envelope show, Mm. you know, because sometimes they might say a, a naughty word, not one of the really naughty words, mind you, but one of the like sort of half naughty words. Sort of, sort of edging on the edge of, of being naughty enough to be a little transgressive. Right. And sometimes, you know, Bart wasn't, you know, super polite to his parents. That's weird. I guess, I guess at the time, yeah, that wasn't as, yeah. much of a, as much of a thing. And it's just one of those things where it definitely outlived itself and it needed to end. And I mean, it's still not over. I was going to say, it's still going, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, and at this point, what is the point? You know, what is it that it's saying anymore? I don't know. But anyway, not really here to talk about The Simpsons so much. <laughs> um, but it is uh, perhaps apt to talk about something that should have faced a good death a while ago. Mm, entirely possible. Uh, yeah, today we're going to be talking about uh, a subject that we were going to talk about two years ago when I was on this show as a guest. Uh, actually, more than two years ago now. Um character death and Mm -hmm. how that can be how that can be handled by the players how that can be handled by the gm and how that overall uh serves the story and uh, i will i will preface this with a a spoiler warning that will be a spoiler of itself if you're listening to the redaction reports don't listen to this right now if you have if, (laughs) if if you have not listened to episode 11 do not listen to this yet period okay full stop so, with that spoiler warning given, have you've you've talked about uh, uh, killing off uh, player characters in your games before? Um, what does it feel like on your side of things as the GM when that sort of thing happens, whether it's accidental or a very intentional? You messed around, and now you're going to find out. <laughs> Which is the family friendly way of that of that saying. Yeah, you know, it doesn't happen to me often. Uh, it's not a thing that I cause to happen often. 
uh, my players get knocked out left and right. Yes, I can attest to that. (laughs) Yeah, they get KO'd a lot, but they almost never die. And even when they do, there's usually some sort of out there as well. You know, some way to undo it or whatever. It is uh, when it happens, and I haven't completely decided what we're going to do about it yet. It is something that makes me incredibly uncomfortable, actually. Interesting. Um, I know, I know, odd, right? Every now and then, you're little, you're legit trying to kill a character, right? And that's that's a little bit different, but um, for the most part, if I don't want it to happen. Um, I felt this way about um, Andrew's character, Lanzavere, in our uh, venture game that we ran for a few years. I mean, it the he was his character was a big part of that story, and he died like a couple times. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and in both times, I was like, "Crap!" You know, I really I don't want this right now. Um, but uh, it is something where the weight of it, the threat of it, has to exist. It has to be there somewhere. Um, otherwise, it really kills your tension. Sure, because if there, if you, if you are, if you have a certain amount of plot armor that will keep you from ever true dying, there's always in the back of your mind that you know it can get bad, but it'll never become the worst case scenario, and that takes some of the teeth out of it. Yeah, you know, I I like feeling like my character is in danger. Like it's weird on the other end. I like embrace death, you know, when I'm a player, I'm like, yes, that's fine because there's so many things I want to do. And, and yes, I can point to the mistake I made. And if I can definitely point to the mistake I made, you know, like it's a lot easier. Um, if I feel like, um, I was punished for something that I didn't necessarily do wrong, that might be a little bit different. Uh, But by and large, um, I'm pretty cool about it. Some players lose their minds and they really don't care for this kind of thing. Sure. And so part of me is also nervous about like the social aspect of it, of, you know, is somebody not going to take this well? Um, Have you ever had a character die? I have. I've had a character die uh, several times. One of them was in your game. Um, Let's see. I think I've only had two characters, like, true die. Uh, one of them was Keladre in the Blood and Thunder game, which came out of left field, curveball to the jaw, which I was just sitting there staring at my screen going, what just happened? Um, and the other one was in Wrath of the Scorn when we faced up against Aphrodite, who we found out later was an aspect of Tiamat. I think <laughs> Zeph died before finding out about Tiamat. Yeah, yeah, you were the most confused about it, because I think you died in phase one. Yeah. And, and in fairness, I was kind of doing the taunting thing. I, I, I was doing the Roadrunner <laughs> meep beep thing, <laughs> which is always, I always find that highly entertaining to do that, to, to razz bad guys to get their attention. But, you know. Well, I, I play uh, different kinds of uh, enemies differently, like very intelligent Enemies should be able to quickly assess who the biggest threat on the board is and how to get rid of them. Um, The ogre is not going to play this well, right? Part of the fun of fighting dumb bad guys is that they just run at the tank, you know, (laughs) and then you just get tank and spank. But like, you know, a goddess should be like, well, where's the highest DPS on the board? (laughs) Yep. And should be able to remove it. It didn't take her long to sort that out. And, you know, perfectly <laughs> fair. I And honestly, when that happened, um, when it happened, I was like, okay, that sucks. But, you know, um, I'm going to wait and see what happens. And that's kind of my mentality whenever death happens in D&D. Because it's like, you know, I, I, I will sometimes message and be like, do I need to make a new character? Or or is there or is there a plan? Is there something that we're looking at doing where death was part of it? I remember you saying that there was a way for us to win against that aspect of Tiamat, but you weren't expecting it. No, the the plan was, you know, basically a plot TPK, but not forced where it was like, okay, this should be unfair. This should be hard. But I mean. Five E play five E PCs, especially at high levels, 
are very difficult to murder. <laughs> it's so true, though. Like I, the death saving throw system makes it so hard to kill players. It really does. And I mean, I've run quite a few arenas over on Q and C. I have, I have gotten several characters to true death. I have never had a true TPK, and it's it's really funny because there have been times that I've set up things where I'm like, this is going to destroy them, and then I'm just like. They pulled something, some trick, and that's, you know, the, the advantage of good players is they can look at their things and be like, you know, what can I do to keep this from happening? Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a couple of reasons why it might happen. You know, one is dice, obviously. Yeah. You know, sometimes the, you just get a one or a 20 and there's nothing anyone can really do about that. Um, I don't typically use Vorpal weapons for this purpose. Sure. Um, unless it's like just very plot driven or whatever, like, Hey, this is a big deal. And then in, in, even in that case, like people are going to, it's going to be telegraphed. People are going to know about it. You know, um, I don't like that kind of thing because I definitely like to have some control. Right. And so the other reason I might, you might kill a player is because it's very, very, very good for the story, which is the ideal form of doing it. Right. Ideally it's man, this would break everybody's heart or this would, you know, give them the redemption moment that they need or, you know, something. And then the other thing that could happen is players asking for it. <laughs> well, there is a certain element of that, right? Where it's very much the, you know, screw around and find out that happened yes, with yes. Um, uh, Storm King's Thunder, which turned into a party uh -huh. uh, knockout instead of a true TPK, but that one was definitely... We, we didn't have a plan. We didn't figure out what we were going to do, and then uh, things escalated and cascaded, and it just went from there. And it was very much a, no, I can point at the three or four very bad decisions that we made, and I'm not pointing fingers at anyone because we all made bad decisions. <laughs> and well, what was impressive about that, like, from what I remember is like nobody was like playing the blame game. I think the whole table was like, wow, we <laughs> we screwed up and we all we, we really all recognize that, <laughs> you know, because it was like a bunch of orcs and you guys were like fairly high level and you're like, oh, this yeah, will be this easy. Will, hurt it hurt to hurt. This will be easy. Yeah. Yeah. So then and then stuff happened. And and uh, I always say like the most dangerous enemy in the whole uh, monster manual is your basic wolf um, <laughs> because it has pack tactics and it's like a CR one half or, or something. Um, it's like one or one half. I forget, but it's like pretty low level, but it does enough. It has pack tactics. It can knock you down with an auto attack. And then, but the main thing is that when you're fighting it, you're probably like level one or two. And that's when you are pretty easy to kill. That's, you know, that's true. Uh, I will, however, say that the very first time. No, that's not true. The first time uh, that, that that I was involved in a in a player death where it was like this was a cascade of bad decisions. But it started with us underestimating the, the enemy uh, was in campaign one of chaos agents when I think we were like 10th level, 9th or 10th level, so, some, something pretty reasonably high. Our fighter got killed by a shark. <laughs> Now, yeah, admittedly, sharks are brutal oh my in gosh, fifth edition. They're brutal. Sharks are nutty. They really are. And I mean, they are that way in real life, too. So I do appreciate that they actually like leaned <laughs> into how scary sharks are when they actually like go for it. And I mean, and by and large, you know, sharks are fine if you leave them alone. But uh, once there was blood in the water and then Ruckus kept freaking forget to stick his boots of spider climb against the side of the boat to walk up the side of the boat and get out <laughs> of the water. Maybe. Yeah, we, yeah, we, I, we had, I, I, go ahead. We were both polite there. <laughs> we we had both. We had uh, j just left an island and uh, Ruckus had decided to hurl himself at a. Uh, a rock that was being thrown at us. I don't know what the thought process was there, but he was using the jump spell to throw himself at a rock that was being thrown at our ship and missed, thankfully. Because <laughs> that would have just well, splatted you know, him. That's another thing that'll kill players is their own creativity. Yeah. Um, many of us are not physicists, but we have seen cartoons. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we try things. Yeah. Speaking of Wiley E. Coyote. <laughs> right exactly it's like 
Your characters are actually not made of rubber. Uh, yeah. I guess unless you're a plasmoid, right? Then it's pretty close. Uh, that's true. So when that <laughs> so, so when that happened, Thomas had to rearrange the entirety of the story. Like it turned out that. Um, one of Ruckus's family members had had dealings with Asmodeus, and when Ruckus woke up, effectively, it was in a feast hall sitting across from Asmodeus. He was like, well, 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 what do we do with you now? And <laughs> that was Thomas having, like, we went to break after Ruckus True died, and he, he spent the break being like, what do I do? How do I fix this? Because this meeting was supposed to happen, but it was supposed to happen much later. Mm-hmm. So, right. do, do you have you ever found that to be the case that you've had to rearrange the story after a player character death? Um, yeah, I mean, it's again, I'm too much of a coward, or I have been, <laughs> you know, where I've killed lots of characters, but then they somehow come back. Um, you know, we had one player who was the sole survivor of a TPK. Uh, they had run into a pair of Bahirs. And we're just failing their their deck saves. And they had accidentally like pulled it like in, M- in an MMO. I don't know how familiar you are with that idea, but it's 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 pulling aggro, basically, right? Where you, yeah, where you get pulling the aggro. Yeah. Like you're not supposed to be fighting this guy, but yeah. you ran too far through the map. And so now you've added on to your own problem. And then, um, yeah, one player ran away. Everybody else got like eaten or blown up. Oh, jeez. Basically. And then that player ended up trading their like in-game child for everybody's life to come back. Oh, wow. Which in that case, I was like, okay, player is telling me that they want to continue and are willing to sacrifice something important to them in game in order for everyone to keep playing and having fun. Right. They didn't want to lose. They because they realized they were smart enough to know that like the game was basically over you know, if this was going to be the case. And so they, they decided to make that choice. So my interpretation is, okay, we're going to pay a price now, but it's only, it's only half up front. We're going to have to deal with the fallout of that later. Right. Like there, there's like action consequence. Sure. And so when, when players say, please spare me what what you should hear as a gm is please make me pay for this later <laughs> right you're, ta- you're you're taking it on credit and so that ended up essentially becoming the final boss of the whole campaign so you know what i like about moments like that as a gm is that i don't know what's going to happen and that creates a lot of fun for me And so, you know, I think one thing just in general, not even just about character death, but one way to really make yourself have a lot more fun as a GM is to sort of let go of some of those reins and, you know, let the players decide and let dice fall where they may and, you know, let them entertain you. I mean, you are still one of the players at the at the table. It's useful to remember that when, you know. You 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 turn up the heat on all of the burners as high as it'll go and say, all right, what are you going to do now? Yeah, especially if I don't know how you're going to solve this problem. <laughs> <laughs> then it might be really fascinating to see what happens. And I think another thing to consider is that, like, challenges are unpredictable sometimes. And we don't always know how things are going to go down. You're going to give an encounter that you think is trivial and it turns out not to be. Uh, and the reverse will be true as well. You know, I've had, I had a wolf, a basic wolf killed two players in a session in the same fight. Jeez. And it was just a wolf. There was nothing behind it. There was no backstory. I hadn't planned anything. It was just like the buddy of the local werewolf, you know, and it just, just, just laid waste, just laid waste. And they were level one. So, wow. It, it didn't take a lot. And then I was like, what are we going to do now? <laughs> Level ones are just so easy to squish, though. Like, it's kind of absurd. Like, I, I have to remember that because I'm getting ready to run a, a campaign that goes 1 to 12. And I have to remember the high, the person with the highest hit points has like 14 hit points. Yeah. And uh, on the other hand, when at the end of Storm King's Thunder, when you guys fought Emerith, <laughs> you know, that was supposed to be a big 
uh, climactic battle, and you guys manhandled her. <laughs> yeah, and pretty much. And that- it was pretty anticlimactic. <laughs> and that was partially using the environment smartly, knowing enough about dragons to be like, if you can get her out of her lair, we're going to be in good shape. Um, but also yeah. just like the dice worked in our favor. And you guys got um, the rock fleet yeah. to help you guys. <laughs> and like, I I needed to double check their stats because I, you know, in the it was too late when I realized, holy crap, these birds pack a punch mm-hmm. and they can take a few hits, you know. Okay, yeah, this uh, um, control weather spell is actually pretty nutty, you know, if you give it the right conditions. And of course, I wanted to create something dramatic happening so i already had some storm rolling in right and so the druids just like oh there's a storm you say yes and we've got a bunch of storm druids with us or storm giants with us uh yeah this is now a trivial encounter Mm -hmm. (laughs) plus the book was like if you insult her she will come out of her hole i'm like oh Right, because I mean that I think that is one of the strongest things, one of the biggest things about uh, dragons in particular is knowing their temperaments and being like you know the the rough temperament temperaments of each of the colors and working within that uh, is is definitely a thing. I I did like um, Dragon of Ice Spire Peak. We had to go in there. We had to go. There was no way we were getting Cryovane out of that cave. Uh, he was very well entrenched. He couldn't hear us from the depths of where he was. And it's just as simple. Mm. It was as simple as that. Is like he couldn't hear us. We had to go in there. <laughs> it's just like, oh, oh, hey, Mark. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> oh man. So, uh, I, like I said, I've had some characters die, and it was uh, it, in a lot of cases it was actually really fun. Uh, the first ever five e game I played was with Andrew running actually, and uh, I made a dragonborn fighter. This was for Horde of the Dragon Queen. Ah. And for those of you that are familiar with that story, there's there's this guy named Cyanrath. Uh, he's a half dragon, and he's supposed to, like, do all the bad guy stuff, but he's got, like, a lot of pride and a sense of competition, and so he wants to challenge one of you to a duel. And then if you if you just fight him, you could even lose, but if you just fight him, he'll leave. And I was like, well, my character is a fighter. He's you know, chaotic good, he's going to take this on, you know? And so he went in and I immediately got crit in the face. Oh gosh. And then, yeah. And then I, uh, rolled a nat one on my death save and it was just the stars aligned and said, you die now, mm-hmm. which was fine. But then I was like, Oh, and early on in the story, I had helped this guy. Um, I had spared the life of a bandit, and then I said, we're going to reform this guy, you know? And so I decided my next character would be that guy. Oh, and I like that. So that was fun, you know? Uh, that campaign, like most others, just fizzled. But it was a really, really fun time to switch over to that guy and to play a very different character who had been affected by the story already. And so... I would definitely recommend that players look at existing NPCs as possible, like, replacement PC characters. Because it's like, now it's not just shoehorned in as much. Yeah, we've joked about that with the redacted reports, where when we meet a particularly cool NPC, we will say something like, I've got dibs on that one as my backup character. Uh, I won't say which one. I won't say which one is my favorite for my backup character if something happens to Rowan. But, you know, I have I have a couple choices. Right. And like like you pointed out earlier, character death can sometimes be a tremendous capping on on the story. Uh, the reason why I gave the spoiler alert and it, the episodes are well and truly out now, so I could say it. Uh, I still might get pelted with tomatoes. Uh, one, of, one of our characters in the redacted reports died in, uh, in, the, in the episode 11. Mm-hmm. So to give you some background, because I know you don't listen to to the show, uh, Rooster is a former, well, as as Pro will tell us, uh, there's no such thing as a former Marine. So <laughs> Rooster is a, a Marine is a Marine who had been retired out because uh, he saw he saw something happen and refused to lie about it. So he got 
he, he was bounced out of the military because he was honorable and kind of went into a downworld spiral. And the, gosh, this is this is season six. Uh, I, I just, I just, oh, I, wow. I, just so I sit back a lot of seasons in. Yeah, I sit back and look at my life sometimes and go, oh yeah, no, we're we're getting ready to release the end of season six, and yeah, and we this is the first time that we've had a character die, which in a high mortality system like Delta Green is actually really yeah. unusual. Hmm. Uh, but that is very much because uh, Dan Vashkevich, our handler, does not like to do character death unless it really means something. And it's something that yeah. he will discuss with the player in advance, where it's like, if it, if it's starting to happen because of an accident, because of something horrible that's going on in whatever's happening, there will be a pause to be like, okay, is the, is this is it time, basically? Like... I, I have I have a standing promise that if Rowan dies, I I, I get dramatic last words, and uh, in this case, there had been a great deal of discussion beforehand. Ben came into this season saying that it was time for Rooster to go. Mm. So the the player of the character had said it was time for him to go. Yes, because he said that uh. that it was getting to the point where he didn't have a story to tell with this character anymore. He had reached the point where. He had done a lot of healing. He had done a lot of growing. He had changed a lot. And there was not really a story there for him anymore. And I mean, I even I even foreshadowed it kind of accidentally, but I, I knew that this was going to be the case. There was a bit where my character was talking to two newbies and referenced Rooster and said, oh, no, he lost he lost an arm in one of the encounters. The only way that man is leaving this mission is in a body bag. Because he, <laughs> he he's not going to he he can't retire. He is not someone who is physically capable of retiring. Yeah, and, and that's also a classic trope of storytelling. Like the old veteran, like the pseudo mentor, or yeah. sometimes the straight up mentor is going to die. Like that's that's pretty pretty standard storytelling. I would say, you know. Um, I would expect that if I was playing a character like that. <laughs> well, and, and he, he never was really like the mentor character. He's uh, in the five-man band structure. He was the Lancer to Rowan's leader. Mm, I see. I see. So he was very well, much Lancers her... die a lot, too. I it's mean, true. <laughs> how many times has Vegeta been dead? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, because it causes... A, it's a good storytelling beat, whether, you know, it's something fantastical like Dragon Ball Z or something where the character can come back or... It's something like Delta Green where it's still, I mean, there's mythos and horrible things and Lovecraftian horrors prowling the world, but death is still death. Yes. Well, and it's, it's, it's sad because of everybody else that keeps going, right? You know, like if it's the last session and a couple of you die, it's like, oh, well, goodbye. Yeah. But like, we're going to keep going like, oh, that's. That's a loss. It's it's hard. And we had had to have some uh, internal adjustments when one of the characters retired because he was he had a, a, a sleep disorder that was causing him to have hallucinations and stuff. So, like, we'd already had a shift, but he was still alive. Like, Rowan could still text him and still talk to him if necessary. This was just so final. So let me let, let me ask you a question. Sure. What makes for a good character death? I think for me, a good character death is one that happens while achieving a goal. Hmm. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. So in, in this particular instance, um, we were fighting something that we couldn't see. It's called the hound. It's called the hound of the angles. You can only see it in like places where reflections meet, where you can see like infinity of yourself. That was the mm. only way that it could be seen, unless you took a specific drug. This drug was known to make people's hearts explode if you took too much of it. And we were in the middle of everything, and Rooster decided to just grab a handful and shove it in his mouth because he was like, this is the only way that I'm going to be able to get hands on this thing. And it's tearing my people apart while they're trying to do this ritual. Mm -hmm. And Rooster being the Marine and being the protector did that. And it was very, it, I, I think that a character death means something, or a good character death rather is 
something that is in line with who they are as a character. So Rooster is very much a protector, very much put himself between the bullet and his teammate. And also, we did achieve the 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 ritual in the end. It was hard won, very hard won with a very high cost. But we succeeded in trapping this horrific mythos entity in a glass sphere. The Hound of Angles slips off of the of the of the curves of the sphere. So it's I, I think that it is important that it not feel like it's in vain, even in something as dark and horrifying as Delta Green or the less pulpy aspects of Call of Cthulhu, a character death, a character death shouldn't feel like an accident, not a good character death. Mm-hmm. Not a dramatic one, let's say. Yeah. Um, and I think this is something that worked really well about some of the earlier seasons of Game of Thrones. Yes. Where it wasn't like random, but it was, it felt like a game because when you when you did not play by the rules, the consequence was you died. Yes. When you when you tried to put idealism over pragmatism, um, then it would it would tend not to go well for you. You know uh, that that led to several deaths, uh, particularly among the Starks. <laughs> yeah, the Starks um, really got ravaged by that game. They really did, but I mean. Cersei put it best when she's talking to Eddard in the in the beginning, and she goes, "You know, you either uh, win the Game of Thrones or you die." Mm-hmm. You know, and so that set the tone. That was like, "This is what the show's about. The show has rules," and it was like that gave it this, this sense of legitimacy. So even when the deaths were tragic, it was like, "But I also see it." It didn't feel like George Martin was just being a psychopath, right? Um, it felt like I was learning something. And that I wonder how the the final good guy is going to learn to navigate all this. Which is why I had predicted that the ultimate victor of the whole thing was going to be Sansa Stark. Taking all um, the lessons that she had learned from Cersei and turning them to, to match the lessons that she'd learned from her father and, to, and doing something tremendous with that amalgamation yeah the ultimate like you know machiavelli's dream of having that criminal virtue Mm -hmm. you know being both you know adept and cunning while also you know deeply uh you know uh devoted to your people you know and educated in in the ways of governance you know i thought this is gonna be a great show. She starts out as like this spoiled princess, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then she gets a few different rude awakenings. And then as a result, she's going to become this like powerhouse. And then she's going to win everything. And I, I kept waiting for that to happen. And I'm really mad that it didn't happen. And then they gave it to the guy who was outside the game the whole time. The guy who just opted out, who was like, it's like you're sitting down playing Monopoly with somebody and he goes, well, I got to go to the bathroom. And then he just hides out in the bathroom, you know, for an hour. (laughs) And so you're tired of waiting for him. And so you just keep the game going and he shows up at the end and he still has all of his money. And then he wins somehow, you know, because you just are tired and you want to go home. Because Monopoly is a horrible game. (laughs) <laughs> yeah but <laughs> i'm like, they're like i still hate that line who has a better story than brian the broken oh I'm god like, how about everyone how about literally any given character yeah how <laughs> how about sansa who was forged in the fire of 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 the southern kingdoms and everything that happened to her at king's Landing and all of the things that she learned get her on the throne with her sister as her scary backup like that's a story i would watch oh i i didn't think Arya would live i thought Oh, for sure, Arya is going to kill Cersei and die in the process. I was kind of hoping... It, uh, I was back and forth on that one. I wanted, I wanted her to survive to the end. I did, but... Uh, well, of course, you want her to. <laughs> she's, she is the kind of character that I would play in, the, in, that, in that TTRPG. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh, 100%. 
Um, I, 100%. I, I wanted her and Tyrion to survive to the end because I loved both of them tremendously. Uh, but I I yeah. really wanted... Um, shoot, I've lost his name. The twin brother of Cersei. Jamie. Thank you. I, wa- I wanted Jamie to actually continue that redemption arc and... Uh, actually, and choke her out. Yeah, like fulfill you, the prophecy. Kill your brother. K- kill your kill your sister. That is, there was a prophecy about that and everything. There was, and then there was that moment they're on. They're standing on the map, and Cersei's standing on the neck, and um, Jamie's standing on the fingers, the islands, and like the the fan base went nuts about that, and they're like, "Oh my god, it's foreshadowing," you know. Mm-hmm. That this is going to happen this way. And he had the golden hand and like everything was was worked out perfectly for that. And I thought if nothing else, you know, Arya will take Jamie's face and then do it. That would have been something that would have been cool, too. What in the world did she have to do with the Night King? Nothing. Not a thing. Nothing. She had nothing to do with him. That was Jon Snow kill. It should have been. It absolutely should have been, you know, and. But Jon Snow can't run a kingdom. No. You know, he had to go be the hero that everybody needs or or that everybody deserves, but not the one they need. I always forget how it goes. But, you know, the Batman thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he had to be the Dark Knight because that's literally what he was. And then the 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 Harvey Dent had to be um, had to be Sansa Stark. I mean, it just it was obvious. Yeah. It was obvious that this is what had to happen. And. And I thought for sure, oh, this is going to be great. Like, she's going to enter into a political marriage voluntarily with Tyrion. Those two would have been the power couple of the ages if they had figured out how to make it work. And it would have been the greatest revenge for all of them, you know, uh, against everybody who wronged them. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it would have been it would have been great for all the characters involved. I thought, oh, that's where it's going to go. But I guess the idea was since people have predicted this, we can therefore not do that, you know, and and, which just baffles the mind. Because one of the biggest sins of those last few seasons was plot armor. Yeah. So the, the game fell apart. It wasn't following its own rules anymore. And so every became, everything became invalid and random. The rules of travel no longer applied. The rules of pragmatism no longer applied. Yeah. The rules of logic no longer <laughs> applied. Absolutely. And there wasn't there weren't real consequences for the things that that happened anymore. And that is I think what happens when a storyteller is more about the shock value than they are about actually telling a good story. Because here's here's a secret for all you screenwriters out there, uh, assuming anyone actually listens to this thing. If your audience can predict where you're going in a long-running serial story, that means that you've laid the clues out for them. And the people who... That's good. Yes. <laughs> and the people who pick at them, like the theorist channels that are that pop up all over YouTube, they are paying attention, they see the clues that you've dropped, and they're weaving the story together to say, this is what we think it's going to be. The worst thing that you can do is change your mind just because someone was smart enough to put the pieces together that you laid out there. That that does not allow for a good twist. That just invalidates everything that you've done beforehand. 100% agree. But also, YouTubers out there, stop making these posts because <laughs> you're making shows worse <laughs> as a result. You know what? What, what, what billion-dollar industries do with the predictions of YouTubers who are working out of their bedroom closets is their, is their fault, not the YouTubers. <laughs> it's true. But That's um, true. Yeah, and and very much like I coming back to to the character death. There were several times throughout uh, Game of Thrones where I really felt like there were deaths that should have happened that mm-hmm. that were missed opportunities. Um, I I think that that John should have died in the in the process of killing the Night King. He should not have made it to the end. And I don't know what I think about Daenerys and all of like there were hints of her madness coming out beforehand, but for sure. Power. Not that fast. No, <laughs> exactly. And like she'd had power. It wasn't a matter of I've been given power and now you see what I can do. She was queen across the sea several times over. And she did only did try to do good things with it over and over again. Sometimes well, against I, people's will. 
I thought that was going to be one of the another one of the other prints that was promised things. It's like the whole series in the books is called the Song of Ice and Fire, mm-hmm. and so there had to be this moment of tragedy where, you know, he the Valerian steel wasn't going to be enough. And he was going to have to, like, kill Daenerys with his sword. It was even predicted then, in the story that was told by the by the Red Lady. Exactly. You know, and that when he pulled that sword from her, you know, it should have been, like, on fire. And they both should have been super upset about it. But and then John's not going to live to enjoy his kingdom. You know, that's because you can't just get away with that. Yeah. He has to take the L. I mean, just like your rooster character. You know, he's taking the L for everybody else. He's he's falling on the grenade or on his sword, as, as you want to say it, you know, because it's it creates a sense of meaning. There's no way that Sansa's going to fall on the sword for anybody, nor should she. Because somebody's got to run the dang show once it's all over. Yeah. You know, and so Arya can't run anything. No. <laughs> no. She can enforce some stuff, but she can't <laughs> run anything. She's a, she's our special uh, little assassin. We we, she, we wind her up and point <laughs> her in the right direction and get her therapy afterwards because that girl is so broken. <laughs> Listen, every household needs a cat. But you don't need a cat <laughs> running the household. <laughs> That's really- don't tell that to my cats. They think they run the household. I mean, yeah, right. And then, of course, the other thing was that Martin had said many times that the show was based on the Ro- the War of the Roses. Yeah. And Sansa Stark had this red hair, and it was like, well, she's Elizabeth II, obviously. Or not the second, the first. Yeah, <laughs> no, you're fine. <laughs> I keep doing that. Um, but yeah, she's she's Queen Elizabeth. It's the English monarch's fault for, monarchy's fault for naming all of their people the same thing. Right, right. <laughs> But yeah, th- like that that was I I really do wonder if Martin having seen how badly how bad the response was to the the seasons that happened after the books ended because uh the books end with Jon Snow being killed by by the Night Watch. There's no printed yes. material past that right now. No, there isn't and which is I have very mixed feelings about that. Yeah. Cuz like on the one hand I'm like I, I get that you can hit creative ruts, and this is why a lot of D&D campaigns don't last, because you just hit a creative rut, and you have to move on. Like, I get it. But on the other hand, do your job. <laughs> Mr. Martin, you had one job. Be a professional. If someone's offering you a bucket of money like that, yeah, you know, you honor your, your, your agreements. That's what I feel, but... um. Yeah, it's anyway. He he's he knows his mind better than I know it, surely. And I know that that he did leave like an outline for uh, what was what he had planned out. But there had already been times where they veered from the printed material even before that, like uh, the Red Wedding. After the Red Wedding, the uh, Catalan Stark was supposed to become Lady Stoneheart, who was effectively a, a very intelligent zombie. Who didn't speak right. and didn't and went around killing people who had wronged her and her family, and they mm-hmm. didn't have her. And I felt like she was going to be a very important character leading up into the end. And I was like, well, if that ending has anything to do with Lady Stoneheart, that can't happen now in the show. It just can't. Well, one thing they were doing is they were they were going, okay, there's too many characters. This medium is different than a book, which is fair. And so what they they started rolling characters into each other, um, like Dario Naharis and Strong Belwas just became Dario Naharis. Right. Right. Um, but anyway, not to make this a whole thing about Game of Thrones, but it does like perfectly illustrate the the point here, which is when when Eddard Stark dies, it's not because, oh, look at this. We're subverting expectations. He's the main character. He's not supposed to die. That's not the point. The point was, is he's not the main character, but we're telling you what the rules of the sto- of the game are and, yeah. and the story. And so when the Red Wedding happens, you're like, of course, you know, it's, it's tragic. It's terrible. It's hard to watch. But also... Of course. You broke the dang <laughs> rules. You, you you broke the rules. You went against your word and you married. I mean, I understand you married for love. You followed your heart. But boy, oh boy, was that a bad choice. 
That was a very bad choice. You risked the whole kingdom, you know, for one person and not even for a very heroic reason, frankly. It was for, you know, just personal lust and desire, really. Um, the show does a better job of making her seem, you know, very likable. It's like, oh, well, she's like a nurse. She takes care of people. But but even um, so. But that's not the point. Right. Exactly. The point is, you thought Walter Frey's girl was going to be ugly. That's what it was. Yeah. So you don't deserve to be the king. <laughs> you you were th- what- you, you were thinking too much in the short term, and you were willing to break a word to one to one of your bondsmen, and there are consequences for that, as there should especially be. one that controls such a super important area of the map. Seriously. <laughs> so I mean that that was a tragic death, but it was one where it was like, oh no, I I see where that player made some very bad decisions that came back to haunt them. And I think that that's important to establish in your own game where it's like, okay, what are the sort of spoken and unspoken rules that have been laid out? Mm. And is there going to be a consequence for this? So I played in Curse of Strahd with uh, Andrew where Andrew was running a game and I broke the rules and I fully expected that Strahd would murder me because I taunted him. Was it during the feast or at another time? No, bef- way before that, he had come to the Blue Water Inn. Oh, okay. And he was like, let me in. And we were like, no. And then our cleric did something really stupid. And so he ended up getting in. Oh, no. And then, like, he had me up by the throat. And then I was like, basically like, yeah, drink my blood. Taste what a real man's, you know, red hot blood is like. Something like that. <laughs> something stupid. And... I thought, well, I got my licks in on Strahd, but he's going to break my neck now. I'm a level, like, three rogue. <laughs> I got I got nothing. I'm, the, I'm arguably the worst class in the game, and, I'm a, and I have no solo potential. Yikes. And he just lets me go. But what was terrible about that is that it broke a rule, and then the game continued. And I think it hurt the game. And I blame myself for doing that to to a degree. But also, Andrew, you should have killed me. That's what <laughs> I'm telling you. You should have murdered my character. And he would have he would have deserved it. Yeah. So. So, I mean, and that that is, I mean, maybe not put quite so bluntly, but I, I think it is valid for GMs to remember that if you have established what the rules of the world are, don't. Be afraid of the consequences of visiting those consequences upon your players, sometimes to like the ultimate consequence of character death, especially. It's so important. Yeah. And especially in something like D&D, like death can just kind of be a pause or a way to be like, oh, we need to find some way to fix this. This will bring the team together as we all go save our person. Exactly. Um, it can be a really important character moment. It can be a great growth thing. But don't shy away from those consequences because once you do that, the players have kind of implicit permission to keep breaking the rules. I was. I'm really glad we had this discussion because as I'm planning my next campaign that's based in Westgate, and I have promised a lot of political intrigue, I'm going to need to have some rules. Mm-hmm. And especially in a game that has so many, so much in the way of politics, there, there needs to be cause effect. Otherwise they don't make any sense. Yeah. And so help. Thank you for helping me remember what's really important. I may well live (laughs) to regret this because I'm in that game, but but I do You very well may. Oh, I might, but I do feel fairly strongly about that because I have had uh, player characters, uh, my player characters die twice and each time it's been either I made a mistake or there was something going on in the world that I didn't know about. Like when I reached out with a sentence and it got blasted with a word of death. And <laughs> that was very much out of left field. But it, I was messing with things that I didn't I, I didn't know the rules. And I broke one of the rules unknowingly. Unknowingly. Well, and I think that that's a big reason why Kelladry was able to come back. Because it was like, okay, you broke a rule, but you didn't know about the rule, and you didn't necessarily 
do anything wrong. Right. But this is also the natural consequence of what would happen. So we're going to kill you, but then we're going to bring you back. Yeah. And and I thought that that was probably the best way to handle that situation. It, it was. And it was a great way for the team to all come together and have to deal with things it was. without their heart. Like there was a five man yeah. band without their heart. They had to deal with that. Yeah. And that was that was a difficult time. And then we got you back. And then that was fantastic. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. One time I uh, I was playing a cleric in, in a third edition game and. At the climax, at the very end, my character basically uses the superpower MacGuffin to destroy all the bad guys, but destroys themselves in the process. And that was one of my favorite endings, you know? Yeah. Um, Because it meant something. Because it meant something, you know, and you just, you want it to mean something. You want it to have weight. And, you know, the other thing is you have to have a certain relationship with your GM you know, where, and with your, from the other side, your players, where they're going to go, okay, they're not killing me because they're mean. They're, they're killing me because, you know, either the dice said so, or, you know, they have a bigger plan at play, or this is for the legitimacy of this story. And, you know, I haven't tried Warlock yet. (laughs) (laughs) And I, and I think, and I think that's why I, I mean, I, I think that's why I have never freaked out when one of my player characters has died. It, because there's a part of my brain that's like, sit back, wait and see. Is it yeah. time to make a new character? Or is there something happening that I don't know about at this moment? Which is also fun. Yeah. Right. And both of those are equally valid. And if it turns out that it's like, well, something got messed up and there were just a lot of really good roles and I paid the price for that. Okay. That happens, and then we figure out where to go from there. Is it time for me to bring in a new character? I I am kind of famous for not wanting to because I like to tell one story from beginning to end. Yeah, but you know, I could be persuaded if there's a good story to be told elsewhere. Yeah, and I, and sometimes you can tell a player is kind of like not feeling it. Yeah, and it might be a good way to help them reset. Um, I have had that happen before where character number two ends up being a lot better of an experience Mm -hmm. where they're just like, okay, now I get it. And now I, here's why my new character is invested in the story because I know a lot more about it now, you know, um, or it turns out that playing rogue sucks and, you know, I'd (laughs) rather be literally anything else. <laughs> I I have enjoyed. Sorry, I, I'm letting it. I'm letting it be known, aren't I? <laughs> no, that that's totally fine. I don't think I've ever played. I, I've played a straight rogue, like within a one shot or something. But usually, I multi class into rogue for various reasons. I don't think I've ever played a, a a rogue from beginning to end without multi classing. And I don't usually multi class, but I either I started with with a, a Mary. I started as a rogue and then picked up sword bard to give myself better things. Uh, and then I, th- I think level dips into rogue make a lot of sense. Yeah. I think that that's perfectly valid. I think straight up rogue just isn't interesting enough. It's, it's you know, kind of yeah. like straight up barbarian. It's like there's just not quite enough here. Yeah. And it, it's one of those things where it's like one of the things that I love uh, dipping sideways a little bit. One of the things that I love about uh Powered by the Apocalypse games like Thirsty Sword Lesbians is what is the inherent conflict of the character? What is their internal conflict that drives them forward? And for a lot of rogues, the archetype is I stab and I steal. There's no actual conflict. And for barbarians, it's I get really angry and punch things. And there are ways to play both of those (laughs) in more interesting ways, but you have to bring that to it as opposed to something that you can play with within the, the class. Yeah, where the mechanics are assisting the narrative. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why everyone should look at my barbarian fix. It's way better. <laughs> um, all right. Well, speaking of death, I think it uh, is time for this uh, episode to give up the ghost. Indeed. And it has been a lovely discussion. I'm glad that we finally got to come back around and talk about this after a couple of years. <laughs> Um, but it's nice to come back to it with, with more experience as a TTRPG player. So thank you all so much for joining us for this, uh, long awaited discussion on character death. And, uh, we hope you will join us next week as we talk about various other aspects of TTRPG storytelling. So instilled that, so words. So until then, (laughs) stay inspired. Bye bye, everybody. Rest in peace. (laughs) 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Inspiration Point. If you'd like to support what we do, go and check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash inspiration point. If you can't support us directly, that's okay. You can also help support us by telling people about the podcast. A little inspiration goes a long way. Inspiration Point is edited and produced by Tiana Hansen and is distributed by Quest and Chaos. If you like what you hear with us, give Quest and Chaos YouTube or Twitch channels a visit. They play Dungeons and Dragons on a weekly basis and have a bunch of campaigns of Call of Cthulhu, D&D, and board game playthroughs archived on their YouTube. Join us next week for more inspiration. Inspiration.